The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. Today's world news, what it means, where it's taking us. I bring you the one and only possible message of world peace. This is a message of hope, tremendous hope. And he said unto me, you must prophesy again. The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. Before stepping into the political arena to save our country, I spent my entire life building a truly great company. Over the years, I've employed thousands and thousands of people. I built towering skyscrapers standing tall above the greatest cities of the planet. And from New York to Miami, from Los Angeles to Chicago, from Ireland to Scotland, and from Dubai to Hawaii, all the way to the Las Vegas Strip, I have created magnificent properties in some of the most spectacular locations on Earth. In short, I have achieved the American dream beyond all imagination. Most politicians only know how to kill jobs. I have actually created them, but by the thousands. While others use public office to enrich themselves, I left an amazing life behind to go and fight for the American people. And I'm glad I did it. It hasn't been easy, but I'm glad I did it. Sadly and pathetically, for the past six years, the radical Democrats and the fake news media have been trying to deceive the public about these simple facts. Now, in an outrageous abuse of power, the radical Democrat Congress illegally obtained and leaked my personal tax returns which show only that I've had tremendous success. It's been an amazing period of time. The seizure of these confidential records was completely unconstitutional. There is no legitimate legislative purpose for their action. And if you look at what they've done, it's so sad for our country. It's nothing but another deranged political witch hunt, which has been going on from the day I came down the escalator in Trump Tower. This precedent must now be applied to the corrupt Democrats themselves. The new Republican House should immediately obtain the financial records of Joe Biden and his entire criminal enterprise, because that's exactly what it is. Biden is a corrupt politician who spent years selling out America all over the world, including to communist China. Just take a look at his accounts, take a look at all of his homes, and take a look at what his son, Hunter, has contributed to the family. The American public deserves to know the truth. We should also get to the bottom line on how Biden, on a salary of a U.S. senator, was able to buy one mansion after another, all these different locations. When I'm president, we will expose the Washington cartel, and we will make America great again. There's the uh, the real president, Donald Trump. That's a statement from, I believe, earlier today, if not uh, today, uh, late yesterday. But he's uh, he's calling out the the same old people that are attacking him. They they wanted to get to the tax returns, six years of them. And what did they find out? They found out that he he paid 1.8 million in taxes. Uh, they find out they they find out that he actually his net worth decreased while he was in office while he was in the White House. That's that just never happened. That's probably the first politician in history. I'm just going out on a limb here. Probably the first politician in history to go off to Washington D.C. and to actually lose money. It's unheard of. 
You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We're, we're glad that you're joining us today on the last show of the week. It's a, a chilly day here in Oklahoma, and it is for much of the country. I think it got down to about three or four degrees here. We didn't get much snow. I know other parts of the country are being hit with blizzard-like conditions. In any event, it's nice and toasty here in the, uh, in the uh, studio, just like it was in my home last evening. Not, not so much for, uh, for Sam. He's going to be looking into that for the next cold front that sweeps across the Oklahoma uh, plain. It's Friday, as I say. Can't hardly believe how fast this, uh, this week has gone by. The students at AC have uh, just probably, probably have just now completed their final, final exam for the week so they can rest easy this afternoon and evening and on through the weekend. We're happy for them. Uh, it's always a nice breaking point for us and uh, an opportunity for a lot of people on campus to do a few other things besides uh, just teach and go to class, which we love doing as well, but the breaks are much appreciated as well. We've continued on with our broadcasting this week, as I said yesterday. I mean, you come into this week before the, uh, the worldly holidays out there and think it's going to be, a, it's surely going to be a slow news week. And it has hardly been uh, that at all. As I say, there's been breaking news each day, some pretty significant developments, whether it's the Kerry Lake lawsuit that concluded yesterday. We've got some highlights from that coming up, this, uh, this monstrosity of a, of a spending bill, the omnibus package that uh, flew through the Senate with no problem whatsoever. 18 senators, 18, including Tom Cotton from Arkansas, Voted to push it on through, 1.7, 1.8 trillion, no problem. We'll get into that here in just a second, and there's quite a few other things that we'd like to touch upon today. There's been so much news, in fact, we've had to uh, condense some of the Bible study sections, although even in the news segments these days, there's quite a few scriptures that we uh, try to draw attention to as well, because so much Bible prophecy is being fulfilled. There's so many so many passages of scripture to spotlight for sure. I think Letitia James, she's the uh, attorney general in New York. I think she's had Donald Trump's tax returns for two years, if I'm not mistaken. So, for, so what has come of this? And what will come of this latest revelation? Here's Congress, because you know Congress, they really are serious about examining every single line when it comes to Money and, and finance and economics, right? Wrong. Only when it comes to attacking Donald Trump. Then we, we take a vote. We've got to expose his tax records to the world. And what do they find out? They find out that he paid taxes and that his net worth decreased while he was president. That's the big reveal. Nothing, in other words. They got nothing. They come out today with the January 6th report, 845 pages. The summary was 150, 1,000 pages to try to convince the DOJ or anyone who's listening that this man should never run for office again. It's just nonstop. The attacks on Donald Trump. Let's hold Joe Biden to the same standard, says Trump, and he's right. Let's see his tax returns. He's been a career politician, except for those eight years as VP. He was just living on a, a salary for a senator in the United States. And yet he's got mansions just popping up all over the world. Nobody, uh, nobody gets to see his tax returns. What about Barack Obama's? That would be an interesting read. How that man went from 
never really having a real job to being worth, what, hundreds of millions of dollars? How did that happen? Where did the money come from? How much, ta- how many taxes, how much tax revenue does the U.S. government get from the Obama family? Or the Bidens, or the Romneys, or the Schumers? Mitch McConnell, he's filthy rich. 80 years old, career politician. Have we, have we been able to examine his tax returns? They, they won't even examine Hunter Biden's laptop. Just think about the reveal on that. What was it, CBS most recently? Yeah, it's, it's, it's legitimate. It's real. For 18 months, they said it's Russian disinformation. The entire intel community, all these top officials, 51 of them, signed on and said, yeah, classic, all the hallmarks of Russian disinformation. And then the New York Times and some of the others come around to admit that it's real. But they stopped there. What about the actual contents on the laptop? They feel like they've come clean by just saying, okay, it actually is Hunter's laptop. Well, why don't you look at the laptop then and and look into all of these emails with all of these officials from China, from Ukraine, from Russia, Moscow. This is a family, the Bidens and many others too, but the Bidens for sure. They're compromised. We, We have a White House occupant right now who's compromised. And they're going after Donald Trump's Sundance over at Conservative Treehouse had a hilarious piece yesterday about all the excitement and the anticipation leading up to the reveal, the big reveal, Donald Trump's tax returns, and then nothing. Of course, same thing with the January 6th report, all the excitement, the anticipation. I mean, the the way the New York Times writes about the Jan 6th committee, hilarious. It makes for great comedy. It's later on in my notes. I'm already way off track, you guys in the booth, so just just deal with it. <laughs> Here it is, the New York Times. Someone actually wrote this. The lack of, 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 of obstructionist voices on the committee meant the panel could proceed with a clean, uninterrupted narrative about the events of January 6th. That's the New York Times saying, you know, this really worked out great because... There were no Republicans on the committee. There was no one there to object. They're, I mean, they're they're celebrating this. They love them some one-party rule. This is what they want. This is why they look at what the FBI did with Twitter and say, there's no problem there. In fact, the FBI inadvertently admitted it's not just Twitter. In their statement the other day, they said, we do this with all companies. So you have it right there from them. You have it from Zuckerberg. You have it from Twitter, Elon Musk. They do it with everyone. They're all radical leftists. And here's the New York Times saying this January, it's a show trial, a sham if ever there was one, a kangaroo court. And the New York Times gets at the very end of this and says the lack of uh, obstructionist voices, that's what made it work so well. The fact that it's like the Republicans, just the, the conservative ones at that, they just don't count. Or they're, you know, they're Hitlerian. They're fascists. It says here, had the speaker seated on the committee, the circus clowns, the insurrectionist sympathizers, it would have been just a, well, then they use a curse word, quoting Adam Schiff. It says here, no one would have come forward. None of the public would have watched. It wouldn't have been worth watching as if people watched it. That Schiff is, this kind of deluded thinking, 
It just permeates the whole of the deep state and the legacy media everywhere. They think that everybody is supportive. They think that you try to search for that. I mean, thankfully, we have Breitbart and some of those sites like that. But try to find Donald Trump's video from his campaign, his latest video. You've got to go to either Trump's websites or places like Breitbart. You Google search it. It's nowhere to be found. So they blot it out. But then you listen to that three-minute speech, or less than that, two and a half minutes, and ordinary Americans are nodding in agreement. Yeah, that's right. If they're going to go after his tax returns, how about some fairness? How about looking at both sides? But see, the New York Times says about the Jan 6 committee, the, the fact that, that, that both sides weren't represented is what made this such wonderful television. Remember the clavicles? Great TV. Nobody watched. Nobody watched. Nobody. Big, big buildup to the uh, criminal referrals on Monday. And then what? Well, they do their best to try to milk everything that they can get out of it. But it falls flat. Big buildup for the tax returns. And then what? Nothing. A big, fat, nothing burger. That's it. That's it says, no one would have come forward. This is quoting the, the, the wisdom of Adam Schiff. None of the pe public would have watched. It, would have been, it would have, wouldn't have been worth watching. So that original decision was really the basis upon which we were able to conduct a serious investigation. Schiff, of course, saying that with a straight face. It was, it was very serious. Very, very serious. A serious investigation because we didn't have any Republican representatives. Nobody to obstruct. So we really got to the truth. They got to nothing. They got to nothing. Those that were so giddy and excited about the tax returns, they should have asked Letitia James, look, is there anything there? Because if there was, do you think, you think that radical attorney general from New York would have come forward by now with all of these charges to send Donald Trump off to prison? They got nothing. Nothing. And you know what's interesting to me as I was thinking about it this morning? Here, as I say, they're examining every single line in Donald Trump. He's not even in office. He, as he explained in that clip I just played for you, he's just a real estate tycoon. He's got property. He's got actual valuable assets all over the world. He's employed thousands of people. He's created jobs. He's accumulated real wealth. I mean, wealth that you can see. Wealth that he has built. And they're examining every line of how he operated his company. And meanwhile, a lot of these same people, they work behind closed doors to create 4,100 pages of omnibus spending and then force it through con Congress without, anybody, without it getting any scrutiny whatsoever. And it, and it destroys the United States of America. It breaks the back, financially, economically, of the United States of America. Listen to Donald Trump again as he talks about this omnibus spending bill, clip 11. Every single Republican should vote no on the ludicrous, unacceptable $1.7 trillion omnibus spending bill. It's a disaster for our country, and it also happens to be a disaster for the Republican Party, because they can stop it. 
Biden and the radical Democrats are trying to ram through this monstrosity in the dark of night when no one has even had a chance to read. It's over 4,000 pages crammed with left-wing disasters, Washington betrayals, and special interest sellouts, all designed to keep the corruption going without lifting a single finger to solve the problems that matter to hardworking families and Americans. We're giving $500 million to other countries for border security and for the building of walls. Can you believe this? But we're not allowed to use any money for border security or the building of walls. This bill will make the border worse. It will make crime worse. It will make the economy worse. It will make inflation worse. It will make every single one of Joe Biden's total catastrophes even more ruinous and damaging to our country. Our country is going to hell because of what they've done in the last two years. Passing a spending bill now, before Republicans take control of Congress on January 3rd, would squander our best chance to hold Biden fully accountable and force him to secure the border in the new year. Mitch McConnell, who is an absolute disaster, by the way, must not be allowed to waste this golden opportunity. He's more of a Democrat than a Republican. He's exactly right about that. 18 Republicans voted it right on through. All it would have taken was <laughs> 10 of those Republicans to stand against it. And there's even way, I don't know all the ins and outs of it, but Steve Bannon has talked about the ones in the minority and how that they could have delayed it, filibustered it, whatever. Just to try to get it to January 3rd, we're just two weeks out. But instead, they just surrender, these rhino Republicans. They surrender. They allow for Nancy Pelosi basically to extend her leadership in the House on through to September of next year, because that's what this budget covers. Through to September of next year. They, that's what gets lost. I mean, after, after it's rammed through, as he explained, then you have a few, at least a few, conservative watchdog groups that go through it line by line and say, what in the world? We're sending, we're sending $500 million abroad for nations to beef up their border security, and there's nothing for us at home? Of course, there, there's outrageous line by line of that all the way through. But what gets lost in the outrage is that Republicans could have, even in the minority, they could have stopped this, but they didn't. So when you listen to that spiel by Donald Trump, who would American, just ordinary Americans, who would they side with, Mitch McConnell or Donald Trump there? Because Mitch McConnell's on board with the Jan 6 committee saying he should never be able to run for office again. He's been disqualified, as McConnell has recently said. He said Donald Trump's trying to shred the Constitution. Uh, uh, Donald Trump's having lunch with racists. So he shouldn't be able to run for president again. He's right in step with the Jan 6 committee. It's the Uniparty, the establishment. They're aligned together in their opposition to Donald Trump. That, that's really, all, that's the, really the only strong stand that they make. Oppose Donald Trump at every opportunity. This, uh, there's no reason that this spending bill needed to go through in this lame duck, lame duck session. That's what we're in right now. As I say, Republicans could have stopped it, but they didn't. They didn't. Julie Kelly's latest piece at American Greatness, the title, Traitors, 
<laughs> the title says it all. That takes you right to America under attack, doesn't it? Traitors, all of them, they're traitors. They complain about Donald Trump's successful business, even as they force through $1.8 trillion. $1.8 trillion the United States doesn't have, by the way. I think, I think $1.1 trillion, at the very least, is not even funded by the incoming taxes. So it's just adding more to the debt, adding more to future generations, children. I, I, I presume they, they think this. Julie Kelly says, the omnibus package itself is one insult after another to the American people. They insult the American people. They, they talk about how Ukraine is the number one concern for Americans. They insult America, and Donald Trump comes out with statement after statement after statement that people listen to or, or see and think, I agree with that. I agree with it. It says here, generous funding to secure the borders of other countries is included in the bill, while little more than crumbs to protect our southern border. Listen to what Donald Trump had to say about the southern border crisis from this week as well, clip one. Our country is under invasion. Days ago, 16,000 illegal aliens were encountered crossing the border in a single 48-hour period. A colossal migrant caravan recently poured across the Rio Grande and into the streets of El Paso, Texas, and the people and the police didn't know what to do about it. It is truly a massive invasion. Any form of amnesty now would be a catastrophe. It rewards Joe Biden's lawlessness, and it rewards the criminal cartels, and it rewards everyone who has broken the laws of our nation because they've never done anything to our country like they're doing right now. Our country is being poisoned. Remember, our border is not open because of insufficient resources or legal authorities. Our border is open because Joe Biden has ordered it to be open and because Biden has broken the law and torn it into shreds. He has shredded our system and he's destroying our country. Here again, he's completely right. The border's not open, wide open, because there's no resources. I mean, look at, look at the omnibus spending package. There's 1.8 trillion there, nothing for the border. The reason being is the Joe Obama people have ordered the border to stay open. So who in America would listen to that, that clip right there and disagree with it? This is from Julie Kelly again. It says, perhaps the most outrageous provision in the omnibus bill is a hefty budget hike for the Department of Justice. Attorney General Merrick Garland, who spends the majority of his time and resources targeting Donald Trump, his associates, and his supporters, will receive a nearly 10% raise next year. I told you about the raise for the FBI. Bringing the Justice Department's annual budget to $38.7 billion. $38.7 billion. Ukraine gets $100 billion. The DOJ gets almost $39 billion. Southern border security, nothing. Nothing. And then when you think about, as she rightly points out, when you think about who the DOJ targets, here's yet another reason why they rammed it through. Steve Bannon has commented on this this week, and he's right. 
saying that this omnibus spending package is like so many other things they do. It's an attack on Donald Trump. How do you explain this with the DOJ and the FBI caught red-handed in, in so many criminal acts? And yet they get a, and yet Congress gives them a raise, not of one or two percent, not even seven percent to just keep up with Biden inflation. 10, 12 percent? That's right. And then you look at where the focus is for the DOJ. Pretty scary. It says here more than 212 million is earmarked to hire at least 100 temporary government lawyers to help prosecute January 6 protesters. Can you believe this? They're still on this. They won't let it go. Because it involves Donald Trump and his supporters. So we need uh, we need 100 temporary attorneys to come in and put more Americans in jail. SBF just he was just let out of jail on some sham of a, of a bail bond. You got all the big headlines yesterday. Maybe I can lead with this as we come back from uh, the break. We do need to take a quick break and then we'll come back, fin finish up. Can't believe how fast the time goes by. I apologize for not keeping a quicker pace. I need to talk faster like Ben Shapiro, I guess. In any event, you're listening to Stephen Flurry and this is the Trumpet Daily. We'll be right back. This is KPCG-FM, and this is the Trumpet Daily. The developed nations have made awesome progress. They have produced a highly mechanized world, providing every luxury, modern convenience, and means of pleasure. Yet they are cursed with crime violence, injustice, sickness and disease, broken homes and families. At the same time, more than one half the world is living in illiteracy, abject poverty, filth and squalor. Violence and destruction are rapidly multiplying. Many ask, why, if God exists, does he allow so much violence and human suffering? To understand the reason behind this astonishing paradox, request a complimentary copy of Mystery of the Ages. We were born into this 20th century world as it is. We take it for granted, but we can't explain it. It's like viewing a movie at a point already near the end. We see what is occurring at that point, but not having seen it from the beginning and not knowing how events developed to the point of viewing, we simply cannot understand what we are seeing. Mystery of the Ages transports you back to the beginning of the movie, to the foundation of this present evil world. To learn more, please visit thetrumpet.com. The Trumpet Daily. So where did the money come from? Quarter billion dollar bond. We've read it's the highest in American history. How do you get out of jail? Well, apparently it was all fake. It was for the headlines. This was just a signature bond. Just signed their name, no cash. His parents, who apparently used funds from this Ponzi scheme to buy $120 million in real estate, we read that too. They put up their personal home as collateral, not the $120 million real estate portfolio they bought. No, it's fake. 
They're making you think that this guy's really being punished. There's no bail at all, actually. Just a promise. Just a promise. Big headlines yesterday. Wow, $250 million. And Sam and I were like, where did, where did the money come from? He, he said just a few weeks ago that he only had $100,000 left, Sam Bankman-Fried. And then he, he, they finally haul him in just before he's to testify before Congress. He's in jail for, uh, what, a couple days? And then he's bailed out, quote, unquote, for nothing. For nothing. So he won't spend time in, uh, in jail, at least not until the trial's over. If, assuming there's that. And yet these January 6th protesters, so many of them, no bail for you. And now the DOJ, thanks to the hefty raise that Congress just gave them, now the DOJ can hire 100 more attorneys to go after more Trump supporters to put them in the Washington, D.C. gulag and just let them stay there and rot. Maybe they'll get cancer and they'll die even before they have a trial. Julie Kelly, just to come back to this piece, the Federal Bureau of Investigations, the FBI, will get a $569 million raise next year as the agency's budget exceeds $11 billion for the first time. So $39 billion for the DOJ, $11 billion for the FBI. It says Garland and FBI Director Chris Wray have made it clear by word and deed that the imaginary threat of domestic violent, extre violent extremists, i.e. those who dare to criticize the regime, will remain their top priority. So as she, as she brings out, this is perhaps, and there are a lot of outrageous provisions. The, the Electoral Act Clause, all the money that goes to Ukraine, and then this, raises for the DOJ and the FBI, and both of them, Garland and, and Ray, have made it clear, yeah, our primary target is Trump supporters. I mean, they use euphemisms. They say, you know, the white supremacists or domestic terrorists, those kinds of things. It's, it's Trump supporters. Just see how that the supporters are dealt with regarding Jan 6. And the investigation continues and expands. The omnibus package is an attack on Donald Trump. One of many. America's under attack. The 800 number, 1-866-930-3024. If you don't yet have a copy, and I know most of you do, but still, we may get a new viewer from time to time. I hope that we do. If you are new to the show, make sure that you call our operators today and request your free copy. There's no cost, no obligation. The literature that we offer on this show, we don't ask for money. It's obviously been paid for. I mean, it does cost to produce this material. But uh, the payment comes from faithful uh, members, coworkers, donors who are very committed to distributing the truth of God to the largest audience possible. Just to finish this piece by Julie Kelly, the FBI, particularly in light of recent revelations of the Bureau's collusion with big tech to suppress coverage of Hunter Biden's laptop and criticism of mail-in voting, should be dismantled and defunded. That's what should be happening. If you had a real Congress, if you had a Congress full of patriots, they would have never let this omnibus go through. I don't know if it's made its way through the House yet, but, but the Senate, okay, and then they're hurrying to try to get it through the House. But if you had patriots in Congress, there's no way it would have gone through. And furthermore, they would be dismantling and defunding the FBI, given the latest revelations. It says here, and there you have it, she mentions the 18 Republicans who joined on with the Democrats to ram this bill through. 
She says, there you have it. One of the most powerful, albeit most unpopular leaders in Washington thinks lining Zelensky's army green pockets with more U.S. tax dollars is a greater need than tackling any number of ongoing crises roiling the country right now. She's referring, obviously, to Mitch McConnell, his statement from earlier this week that basically said, yeah, Ukraine is the top priority. It was all theater Wednesday night. It was all meant to give them cover. We've got to get behind this feel-good moment, help Ukraine, help, help get, put, the, put the Ukrainian flag right there in the heart of the house. Why not? Matt Gates joked yesterday that it's the first time that uh, a lot of members in Congress actually stood for the flag. Just, it was just the wrong one. They slander the United States. They trash the U.S. flag, the Constitution, any chance that they get. And then when the Ukraine flag shows up, I mean, you've got wet kisses between Pelosi and Zelensky. Listen to this from Josh Hawley the other day, clip two. I didn't go to the speech because I, I didn't want to be part of a photo op asking for more money from the United States government when they haven't given us a single piece of accounting on anything they spent. It's just a big photo op. He's right about that. That, and the main thing is, again, it's not that Putin shouldn't be resisted, but Obama didn't do it in 2014 when he waltzed in to Ukraine then. So, the, 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 again, I compared it the other day to Afghanistan. You've got to play the Blinken clip. It's short. Just what he was saying. He's, they're still bragging about the pullout from Afghanistan. We ended America's longest war. Yeah, and then you started another one provoked Putin into attacking Ukraine, and now we've got this ongoing multi-billion dollar affair. And it's not even just that the money's going toward Ukraine's military. We're rebuilding their infrastructure, even as the war continues. The infrastructure, we're sending money to their farmers, we're sending money for their border security. Of course, of course, Ukraine has to have, uh, I mean, they have to have territorial integrity. They have to have territorial security, don't they? It's obvious they do. But not, but not the United States. And as Holly is pointing out, the big problem is that there's no accounting for where the money is going. I mean, we know that 40,000 of it went to Mrs. Zelensky's spending spree, her shopping spree in Paris. Hopefully she was able to buy her husband a sport coat or something. But beyond that, we have no idea. Nobody pays attention to the line-by-line -line spending that's happening in Ukraine, whether it goes to the oligarchs or if it kicks back to some of the Washington politicians. We don't know any of that. We don't really know much about the omnibus bill, except for a few conservative watchdog groups. But Donald Trump's taxes, we've got them. We know everything. And what do they have? What do they have in terms of criminal behavior, in terms of cheating on taxes? What do they have? Nothing. Nothing. PJ Media says $100 billion is a lot of money, even when referring to government expenditures. And Zelensky has been very short on specifics when it comes to where much of it is going. So Z Zelensky, he travels to Washington. He's lobbying for more money. He basically tells McConnell and company that uh, whatever you give us, it's not enough. We need billions. We need billions. We're not, well, all we're getting from European nations are old military hardware. I mean, we need money for the military, for our country, for our farmers, for infrastructure, for the economy, for everything. 
and everyone in Congress, 18 Republicans says, sign me up. That's a cause I can get behind. And like I said yesterday, you don't even hear a peep about the border. It's not even brought up. All these images of people just waltzing right across the border, just walking into the United States. Donald Trump points it out in the clip I played earlier. No one else will. This is why they hate him. Because he, he puts America first. He sees the problems in America. He wants those addressed first. And most Americans do. That's why he's a popular politician. And he's, and he's not even a politician. He's just built this real estate empire. All of these tangible assets all over the earth a multi-billion dollar company creating jobs for thousands, probably tens of thousands of people. And they've been trying since 2015 to destroy him and to empower others around the world like Zelensky. And then all of, you know, not just Hillary Clinton, all of them on cue saying he's the modern day Winston Churchill. Really? Vladimir Zelensky is Churchill? I don't think so. Again, what's happening in Ukraine? It is serious. It has geopolitical implications that affect a lot of different prophecies, for sure. But in the end, as I said yesterday, if you're, giving, if you're handing over a powerful military to the Taliban, as we did in 2021, and then you come in, you're empowering, building, strengthening Ukraine as it fights against Vladimir Putin. And then your industrial military complex is there to supply arms to all of these European nations that, that need their militaries modernized. And then going bankrupt yourself as you do it. I mean, this is just setting the stage for all of the prophecies, the signature prophecies that Herbert Armstrong has talked about or talked about during his 50-year ministry. That's really been the modern history of America the past few decades. We've empowered, we've empowered our enemies, our traditional enemies, even as we've destroyed ourselves from within. We'll come back after a short break and finish today's show with our Bible study. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. Don't forget the 800 number, the literature request line. That's one 930 3024. We'll be right back. The Trumpet Daily. Are we living in the last days? Some dismiss the notion as fanatical, but world leaders and news analysts are issuing warnings that are becoming more and more dire. Could Bible prophecies about the last days actually be accurate? Our brochure can help guide you through the relevant news and history and help you compare these events to what the Bible says. Are we living in the last days? This brochure is available for free right now at thetrumpet.com. The Trumpet Daily. We've been uh, talking about the importance of, uh, of pure language this uh, past semester. Here at the college, I've touched on it some with you as well, but I've really emphasized this a lot with the students just to, to, to remind them how important it is that we not only receive the truth of God, that we receive this valuable instruction that we're getting in, in classes and, and sermons and messages and articles, but that we also develop as gifted communicators. Herbert Armstrong taught us this. You can read about it in his autobiography and just how he tried to make the message plain and, and straightforward, direct, 
anyone that ever heard him speak or read one of his blue, <laughs> blue cover booklets, you, uh, you know this. You know how simple and straightforward the truth of God was presented during his ministry. It's not always easy to do. I mean, again, it's a, it's a craft that we have to work at. But with God's help, we can deliver a message that really does impact a, a, a large audience, powerfully so. I mean, Jesus did this. When, when, when he was gone, I mean, his disciples, they longed for those days again when they could learn at the feet of the Messiah and receive the truth of God. Truth! Think about how valuable this is in the, the days we're living in at the moment, where we're just surrounded by so much fakery, lies, phoniness. I mean, even the SBF clip that I played in the last segment isn't it perfect, really, when you think about everything that we're seeing in the world today? Here, all these headlines that just ran right through the day yesterday. $250 billion. I mean, this is some kind of criminal. And then those prosecutors, they're just beating themselves on the chest. Yeah, we got them. We got them. I mean, this is serious. The judge wouldn't let him out. Except for someone coming forward with $250 billion, Or I guess it was million, sorry. But $250 million, and then we come to find out it was just basically a promissory note. Yeah, I'll be good. And he gets out for free? This is a man who stole billions of dollars, who ruined thousands of lives. It's all around us, this treachery, this sickness, this disease. The lie, read Proverbs 6 and see what God says about lies and how much he hates it because they're so destructive. Proverbs 25 and verse 11, it says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and, and pitchers of silver. Apples of gold and, and baskets of silver. Golden apples, silver baskets. It's a beautiful image. And God says that's what a word fitly spoken is like. Proverbs 15, 23, it says, A man has joy by the answer of his mouth, and a word spoken in due season. How good it is. How good it is to speak a word in, in due season. Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, to preach the word in season and even out of season. I mean, you've got to be ready. Peter said, you've got to be ready <laughs> to answer for the hope that lies within. If someone asks you about this marvelous, hopeful vision that we, that we discuss in this church so often, we've got to be ready to give an answer. In other words, we've got to be ready to explain what we believe, to teach. Proverbs 24, verse 26 says, Every man shall kiss his lips that gives a right answer. God really does appreciate truth, the right answer, a word fitly spoken. Proverbs 18 and verse 21 shows us just how powerful the spoken word is. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. We've got to be lovers of truth, like 2 Thessalonians 2 says. It's not enough to receive it. We've got to receive it and love it and teach it, ultimately teach it. Here it says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. There's tremendous power here. Winston Churchill said the potential for heroism <laughs> lies dormant in the hearts of ordinary men 
They need to be aroused by words. There's potential for heroism in everyone, but so often they need to be aroused by words, by a message. There needs to be motivation there to fight courageously for God. This is Colossians 4 and verse 6. It says, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. It's a beautiful and poetic verse there. Let your speech be like a soothing warning. Let it be inspiring. Salt is good. It adds flavor to food. It also preserves. There's just a lot of benefits there. It purifies. It adds, as I say, it adds to the meal. This is from a 1982 Plain Truth article. Speaking of the the British Empire, it says, one of the chief reasons for the past strength of the British Commonwealth is found in one official language. I mean, that tells you something about the power of the tongue. You've got one official language. As the British Empire spread around the world, there was one language that tied it all together, that made communication so much easier and more effective and, and straightforward. If you go back in British history, you look at the, the mid-1500s. This is right at the time when William Shakespeare is coming on the scene, the greatest playwright in history. I mean, that's someone who understood the power of the tongue and who had command of the vocabulary of the English language. But at that time in Britain, most children didn't even go to school. Two-thirds of the leading citizens of Britain at that time couldn't even sign their name. They couldn't even give give their signature. It says in 1500, I got this from a, a Google search, very few people could read and write But by 1800, a majority of adults in Northwestern Europe were literate, some able to enjoy an unprecedented volume and variety of print and writing. So in the mid-1500s, few people could write. By 1800, I mean, all of that had changed. That's a pretty dramatic transformation in just, uh, what, two and a half centuries? That's not that long. This is from Samuel Johnson. He said, the English nation... In the, in the time of Shakespeare, was yet struggling to emerge from barbarity. Literature was yet confined to professed scholars or to men and women of high rank. The public was gross and dark, and to be able to read and write was an accomplishment still valued for its rarity. Its rarity. During the time of Shakespeare, it was rare to just be able to read and to write. And, of course, Shakespeare had a hand in changing that pretty dramatically. You have Shakespeare's time in the late 1500s and then the, the creation of the, the King James translation of the Bible. I think that was 1611. These were some pretty dramatic developments for the British Empire, for the English language. And, of course, the King James Version to this day. It's over four centuries old, and it's the most accurate. It's the most reliable. It's a masterpiece. It's not perfect. There's a few errors here and there that the translators didn't get right. But for the most part, it's solid. It it stays to the Greek manuscripts for the New Testament, the Hebrew for the Old. This is uh, 
from a man named Charles Wright. He said, in 1564, the Bible had had, had to be <coughs> hidden in dark corners. It was, it was to come out again, but who, would, but who could tell what might again happen? It was safer not to read. It was much less troublesome not to write. His point being that you know, those that held to the truth of the Bible, a lot of them were persecuted by a great universal church, and in some ways it was better to be totally ignorant, and a lot of them were. But as I say, that changed pretty dramatically over the course of just a couple of centuries. William Shakespeare, he studied the Bible. He studied, and again, this was before the emergence of the King James translation, but he studied, he studied various translations of the Bible. This is a, one of the fantastic quotes my father has used from Charles uh, Ogborn's book, The Mysterious William Shakespeare. And he's just commenting here on how immersed Shakespeare was in uh, reading and studying God's Word. It says here, Professors Nielsen and Thorn Thorndike go on, he's quoting these two, finally Shakespeare knew his Bible Several volumes have been written to exhibit the extent of which of this knowledge, sorry, and it has been shown by Anders that he knew both the Genevan and the Great Bible, as well as the prayer book. It says, indeed, Charles Wordsworth, Bishop of St. Andrews, a scholar well-versed in both Latin and Greek, writes, take the entire range of English literature, put together our best authors who have written upon subjects not professedly religious or theological, and we shall not find, I believe, in all of them united, so much evidence of the Bible having been read and used as we have found in Shakespeare alone. So here's the greatest playwright in history. And like this guy brings out, you take all the others together. You put them all together. And you don't see as much evidence of reading and studying the Bible as you do in just William Shakespeare. Isn't that amazing? It really does illustrate, too, just how far removed we are today from the Bible. This is uh, from page 300 of Ogburn's book. Charles Wordsworth, the Bishop of St. Andrews, whom I have previously quoted, an accomplished classical scholar, shows close correspondences between its language and Shakespeare's observing phraseology. He's talking about the language of the Bible, the King James translation, and Shakespeare observing phraseology derived from Greek and Latin and concluding that it is probable that the translators of 1611 owed as much or more to Shakespeare than he owed to them, Shakespeare's pen having assuredly been laid down before 1611. The debt was all on one side. I think really they both benefited. Now the real Shakespeare, I won't get into that, the point of Ogburn's research, but uh, he died in 1604, I believe. So this is before, this is actually the same year, I believe, that uh, the King of England commissioned this team of scholars to begin work on a King James translation. So you had Shakespeare who was immersed into all of this Bible reading. They were different translations, of course, because the King James wasn't yet there. But you have to wonder, how many of these scholars really did benefit from Shakespeare reading? Shakespeare benefited from reading the Bible. And then you have, as I say, this masterpiece that is introduced to the world in 1611. And one language, one language. I mean, just think about 
the blessings of just having the Word of God and being able to read such an accurate English, English translation, these, these, these words, these are words fitly spoken. 2 Timothy 2 talks about every word being inspired by God. So, you know, we don't read Greek or we don't read Hebrew, the original, the transcripts, or rather the, the parchments of old that uh, the Bible was inscribed upon. But we're very thankful. It's easy not to be thankful because now, of course, uh, the spoken word, we take it for granted, even as our, our vocabulary shrinks. We take it for granted. We've got these books on shelves and probably three or four of these books on shelves in every home, in offices, billions of copies that have circulated around the world. And yet look at the ignorance when it comes to understanding the Bible. If people would only pour over the words, every word that's fitly spoken inside the cover of this holy book, it's powerful. It's a powerful message. Shakespeare's sonnet, number 81, he says, So long as man can breathe, or eyes can see, so long lives this. He says, Not marble nor gilded monuments of, of princes shall outlive this powerful rhyme. When all the breathers of this world are dead, you still shall live. Such virtue has my pen. After all the breathers are gone, that written, recorded word will remain. Look at what God told the prophet, prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 30. Now go record it, record it in a book so that it'll be there for a, the latter days. There's quite a few statements like that. Paul, right at the, the point of his execution, was telling his uh, assistants, make sure you go and get the parchments. We've got to have those words. Those words, of course, would later be canonized in the New Testament. It's something to be thankful for. Show appreciation to God. There's much more that we can tie in on this subject. We'll have to do that later, next week perhaps. We'll see. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily, the, uh, the email address if you'd like to submit some feedback, tdatthetrumpet.com. We thank you for joining us today. We thank you for joining us all week, this cold week, and we'll see you next time. Yeah.